I'm sent for good, and so are you. Welcome to Centerpoint Church. I'm glad you are here. And if you're new with us, my name's John. I'm lead pastor here, and I'm glad you're our guest. Stop by the blue tables after service so we can say hello. And come back for Connecting Point Lunch. So this is the first week of a series called No Hype. And it's really a series about Jesus. It's about Jesus and, and the way God sent Jesus full of compassion to bring healing. Supernatural healing. The way God sent Jesus full of authority to bring deliverance for anybody who was under the power of some kind of darkness. Jesus and the way God sent him to bring an activation of the miraculous at every turn and wisdom and revelation about who God is to the left and to the right. This is what this series is about. It's about Jesus, but it's also about you because the scripture reveals in John 20, 21, the heart of Jesus is as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And so I want us to have that in our minds as we engage in this series. It will be about Jesus, but I hope you'll take it personally. I hope you'll decide to take it as what it really should be, which is Jesus giving us examples of himself through his word and demonstrating for us a supernatural kingdom lifestyle so that we could not just hear about it and learn about it and get some knowledge about it, but so that we could walk into it. That's what I'm praying that we would do in response to this word. So right now I want you to say out loud, God help me, God help me. to take in the truth of your word and to respond in faith. Yeah, amen. Okay, so we're going to spend a little bit of time in two different scriptures today, but the first place I want to take you is to a no-hype snapshot of Jesus that's given to us by Peter. And it's in Acts chapter 10, and it's this moment where Peter is dealing with a gathering of, of Jewish people and some Greek God-fearing people at the home of Cornelius, and he's standing up at this church service in someone's house to preach, and in the middle of the, the sermon, he gives this snapshot of Jesus. And, and I love it. I love the words here and what they reveal, but this is what Peter says as he's just giving a snapshot of Jesus. He says, you know the message God sent the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. I want to read verse 38 again. It says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. I, I love the way Peter puts it, because he just puts it very matter of fact. Do you see it? There's no hype about it. It's just matter of fact. Let me just give you a little snapshot of Jesus. You've heard. He went around uh, doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. I mean, there it is. Just straightforward. Come on, somebody say amen. This isn't too painful yet. You can, you can track with me. You know, it's early, and when it's early, I need a little bit of encouragement. I need you to, you know, what, what happens when I preach is everybody looks at me like this. And I know it's because you're just thinking and you're concentrating. You're really trying to really embrace the depth of the wisdom of God's word. But what happens is I interpret it as, 
just try and do something that would bring any kind of inspiration to me. So, so help me out. Like, even just to humor me, just give me a smile once in a while. Just pretend you're Anne Hansen, who always is like, because <laughs> she knows. She knows. <laughs> oh, thank you, Eric. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, so this is, this is God's word. And what I notice is that Peter highlights three particular no-hype factors about Jesus to draw our attention to. Three particular no-hype factors. And the first thing he identifies is Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit and with power. And, and I want you to take this to heart and take it personally. If you would ever actually be a follower of Jesus, you need what Jesus is demonstrating. A life marked by the power of God and anointing from the Holy Spirit. Do you think if Jesus, the Son of God, needed anointing from God and the power of the Holy Spirit to rise up and overcome and live out his destiny, do you think that you don't? All the more you do. If we're going to be followers of Jesus, people who actually follow Jesus into an overcoming supernatural kingdom lifestyle, we need the power of God in our lives. We need the anointing of the Holy Spirit in our lives, way more than Jesus would have. We need the Holy Spirit. Come on, say, I need the Holy Spirit to overcome, to rise up, to give my life the fullness that God demands of me and calls me to. I need the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of God's power. And then it says that he went around doing good. I love this picture of Jesus. It's so broad. It's so generous. It covers so much ground. I mean, he went around doing good of one kind and another. And it's important that we recognize that's a snapshot of what we are meant to be about. Also, if we're going to live a no-hype, Jesus-following lifestyle. We go around doing good. The good that you see in the life of Jesus is an example of the kind of good you are on assignment from heaven on this earth to also carry out. You are not meant to be one who sits and only receives, but one who receives and then carries into this world goodness from God to make a difference, to make an impact. That's what you're here for, to be like Jesus, going around doing good. So maybe going around doing good looks like showing up here next Saturday morning, not just for your free donut, but to help pack those boxes of goodness that we're sending out all over the planet to bless some kids in need, right? Maybe it looks like showing up on the Thanksgiving outreach day and it was great that you bought the turkey, but how about it's even better when you lovingly take that and with your own hands hand it to somebody and say, God loves you and we love you and we're here and when can we connect and how can we relate? How can maybe I partner with you in your life beyond this one day of the year? Year where I feel better about myself because I showed up? How can I enter into a relationship with you where I help you find a way up in this world? Wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah. Come on, somebody. That, that would look like going around doing good. But you know what else? The snapshot of Jesus, it says, and he was going around healing all who were under the power of the devil. And just when our modernistic mindsets would be like, oh, no, no, I, I don't know about all that. That's just me. That's, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know about that. It's there in the word of God that you and I would know a no-hype, real Jesus-following life does not ignore the problem of evil and the reality of the devil. But a real Jesus-following life is one where it's, it's no hype. It, it doesn't have to have a lot of hype, but, but we confront the power of the evil one and tear it down. 
because that's what we saw in the snapshot of Jesus. And thank you, Peter, for just summing up the Gospels in like two sentences for us. You know how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went around doing good and healing all of those who were under the power of the devil. That's not just a snapshot of Jesus. Is in a sense, a snapshot of what you and I are meant to engage in, in a real, no-hype, Jesus-following life. Let's not only follow Jesus into the moments where we sit and listen to the Sermon on the Mount and the beautiful, wise teaching. That would only be one-third of what I see in this picture of Jesus. I think we need to take to heart the need for the filling of the Holy Spirit, the power of God to come upon us, and the calling of God to be activated, to get outside of ourselves and to do the good in this world that we're called to do, and to do it in the power and authority of the name of Jesus, to see the demons flee and fall and people set free. That's what you're made for. No hype required. But talking about doing good, I want to take you to a passage of scripture where Jesus did a particular kind of good. And so I want you to turn to John chapter 2 in the Gospel of John. John chapter 2. And and as you turn into John chapter 2, this is a moment where Jesus did uh, some good. Uh, But before we get there to John chapter 2, just a question. How many of you love a good wedding? Who here loves a good wedding? I mean, the beauty, the pageantry, the, the decorations, uh, uh, the, holy, the holy words that are spoken. <laughs> it's just me, right? It's just me. Okay, yeah, the preacher loves those holy words that get spoken. As a pastor, I get the privilege of standing with a lot of people on their wedding day and probably have been a part of between 100 and 150 weddings, and it's a unique vantage point. And uh, there's one wedding that I did recently that is one of the most remarkable to me and one of the most memorable. And it was the wedding of Vanille and Jessica uh, Lovefield. And the reason why Vanille and Jessica's wedding was so memorable to me was because of how things turned out. They were going to have this amazing wedding ceremony and they were going to do it at this outdoor location. And it was going to be so perfect because uh, there's a a mountain kind of right behind and a canyon right behind where the couple was going to stand. And it was going to be so perfect because the sun was going to shine from this way and give just the right glow for the pictures. And and there was going to be this this cast of sun rays this way and that on the valley and on the canyon. It was going to be amazing. And and the people were going to sit under this little awning over here in the shade and they were going to be out in the sun. It was going to be amazing. But the night before the wedding, we saw the weather forecast and it was forecasting and total downpour the next day. All day long rain. And so it was, you know, what, what are we going to do? This is going to be terrible. Like the, the beautiful wedding is going to turn out to be a train wreck, you know? And uh, we, we, we put our heads together. And uh, once we put our heads together, we came up with a plan. And then this happened. We, we found our solution. And we found 12 of our solutions. <laughs> and we just happened to find a store that sold just enough clear, transparent umbrellas so that we could get the right lighting in the pictures, even though it was raining. And even though it was raining, even though it was such a train wreck, it became the most beautiful, most picturesque wedding I've ever been a part of. I I felt like when I saw the pictures, like it was something out of a a magazine. I mean, I'd never seen something like that before. It was majestic. It was perfect. But part of why it was so remarkably memorable and picturesque and wonderful 
It's because someone and something really went wrong. Sometimes when something goes really wrong, it provides the opportunity for something really wonderful to happen. So I want us to have that in mind as we're turning to, oh, you're awake, you're with me today. I'm feeling the love. I feel like preaching now. Thank you. Woo! All right, so John chapter 2. John chapter 2. Turn there to John chapter 2. Jesus shows up at a wedding, and it's the only wedding that we have record of Jesus really being a part of in his earthly ministry at this time. And, uh, and this is what we read in John chapter 2. It says, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. And Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. <laughs> Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. And he did not realize where it had come from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you've saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. The first of the signs. It's a, it's a, a wonderful story. I mean, just at the story level. It's a great story, just how it all works out and, and something goes tragically wrong and, and the problem gets solved. I mean, that's the, the great ingredients of a great story right there. But it's much more than a great story. The scripture says it's a sign. And what that means is that there is meaning and significance that goes beyond the actual facts of the events as they're recorded at the surface level. It's a sign. What that means is that this moment is infused with metaphor and allegory and symbolism and meaning that takes us into a deeper understanding of the heart of God. And, and I want to make sure we get the sign for what it is. So I want you to take a little bit of time to go back into this scripture with me and let's just break it down together for a moment. And so if you go back to uh, John 2 verse 1, it says on the third... And it begins. You can't even get past the first few words. And already, this sign is pregnant with meaning. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. <laughs> Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus' and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, Do you have no more wine? <laughs> Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servant, do whatever he tells you. What, what I love about this is that it gives us a little picture of the, just the, the human aspect of Jesus. 
I mean, the sense in which he's resistant. He he didn't want this to happen yet. It's like he's saying, I was not ready to be outed as the Messiah just quite yet, mom. You know, I mean, he's he's not ready. He's hesitant. He's resistant. And and yet there's, there's a miracle that unfolds. We've already read the whole thing through. We see that. But what we also see is, is that it's, it's almost as though Jesus had not really planned on this miracle taking place. I mean, if you just take in the scriptures at face value, that is what you see. That there was something about Jesus that was resistant almost. This wasn't necessarily on the schedule. But I think most miracles are kind of that way. But what I love about this moment is that Jesus responds to his mother, and it's almost as though, as the way the thing unfolds, it's almost as though he's saying, this was not really on my schedule for the events for the day, but because of our relationship, I will do something. Because of my my love for you, because of my relationship with you, I will do something that goes beyond what you could have ever imagined, and it gives me a lot of hope. Because I think it's a a revelation of what Jesus is really like, that there may be times that there are things that I'm asking for that may actually not have been part of his schedule, but out of relationship for love for you and me. He just might move on my behalf and on yours, even in ways that weren't necessarily part of the schedule of events, just because he loves you. Come on, somebody. You could say amen a bit louder than that. There's, there's a revelation. There's a meaning here that is to be encouragement for every single one of us to realize who he is and what he's like. But what I also see here is the power of a mother's faith-filled expectancy. I see Mary giving you and me a lesson in faith. I see Mary Showing you and me how it's done. I see Mary giving you and me an example of what it looks like to just have a little bit of guts when it comes to a spiritual trust in God. And and when she utters those words, they have no more wine. And she's saying it to Jesus. She is rightly identifying that he's the one who can do something about this problem. (laughs) And and, and she says to to the servants who are there, she says, listen, do whatever he tells you to do. And, and it's just a few simple words, but it's an absolute expression of faith, isn't it? Because she says these words, do whatever he tells you to do, in the midst of the problem still persisting. While the problem still persists, she embraces the promise of who Jesus is. And that is a lesson for every single one of us. You should know that your problem actually is the very thing that creates the opportunity for the power of Jesus and the promise of who he is to be demonstrated. You ought to thank God for some of the problems in your life because the problems are what invite an opportunity for a miraculous demonstration of the promise of Jesus. If everything was always good and awesome just the way you already wanted it all the time, you'd never need a miracle. You'd never even need to cry out to him. You'd never even need to exercise any raw faith. You wouldn't even need to have any expectation because it's already all good. Thank God for my problems. Thank you, God, for my problems. 
Come on, say it with me. Thank you, God, for my problems, right? It's, it's hard to say it, but we're getting up near Thanksgiving. You better get used to some thanking right now. God, thank you for my problems because I see these problems as the very thing that will provide an opportunity for your promise and power to be revealed. Yeah, Psalm, Psalm 5, verse 3, it, it says this. It says, in the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, Lord, I lay my requests before you and wait expectantly. Let's read this together. Let's say it together. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my requests before you and wait expectantly. Say it again, expectantly. Expectantly. A, a raw faith that God can do something. Even though it doesn't seem like I can see anything yet, I have an expectancy. Something inside of me that's a raw faith. And I see this in Mary. It's a raw faith. She doesn't get very philosophical. She doesn't uh, get very polished about it. She doesn't even express any theology. She just sort of has this raw faith. Raw faith. Do whatever he tells you to do. Unrefined, undignified, expressed with, with no polish. But that's what is sometimes needed more than anything else. Some raw faith. Somebody say raw faith. Raw faith, you see it there with Mary, some raw faith. Miracles draw out the raw faith that you either do have or don't have. And I think that you got to recognize something. The, the master of this ceremony, the master of this wedding could have just settled for how things were. The master of this wedding could have said, don't, don't, listen, don't tell the servants to do anything. Just listen, we ran out of wine, my bad, it's a problem, but it's done. But what I see in Mary is, is something that says, yeah, I'm not going to settle for what's broken when I have my eyes set on the one who can bring breakthrough. And I think this is a model for us about how to live, to not settle for what is broken, but instead set your heart on the one who can bring breakthrough. Let raw faith rise up in you. And it might, it might call for an extended period of engagement. It might call for you to work and move forward, but it's what you are made to do. I think, I think you see the, the advice of Mary clearly here. John 2, 5, he said to the, she said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Turn to the person sitting next to you and tell them, do whatever he tells you. <laughs> this is always good advice when it's Jesus who's doing the telling. Mary spoke the truth, didn't she? Do whatever Jesus tells you to do. Mama was right. Do whatever he tells you to do. This, I mean, this would be worth underlining and memorizing. Hey, if Jesus is doing the telling, do whatever he tells you to do. Don't do with what your flesh is telling you to do. Don't do what those sin-filled old friends from before are trying to tell you what to do. Don't do what the enemy is trying to prompt. Do whatever Jesus tells you to do. Do what he tells you to do. You want to see breakthrough? You want to see a miracle come about? Do whatever he tells you to do. That is how it happens. Do whatever he tells you to do. Oh, and then take action. Because that's what she's asking for. She's saying, hey, if we're really going to see something here, it's not enough that I have some raw faith. There's got to be some action. It is action that we take that leads to supernatural traction in the spiritual realm. And, and so taking action is 
an act of radical obedience in this case. And it's always something right and good to do when Jesus is calling you forward to take action and to step into some radical obedience. Let me read what comes next. Again, it says, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. <laughs> so they filled them to the brim. You kind of just picture this moment. Jesus was hesitant. He was resistant to even be drawn into this thing. <laughs> it's not my time. But she says, do whatever he tells you to do. He knows. He's, he's on the spot now. But you got to just picture it. He's, he's looking around. All the people. And their last little bits of wine and their little ceramic goblets or whatever <laughs> he's looking around oh there's all the empty wine jugs and I have a different idea and, and he sees the, the the ceremonial washing jars why why, why not just the empty wine jars that were already there because as he's thinking about this moment, and he's looking around, and he sees these six ceremonial washing jars. He knows that he has an opportunity to tell them something without even telling them anything. And he chooses the ceremonial washing jars because it's, it's, a, it's a message. It's as though he's saying in this moment, you've had this understanding for years, for millennia, that your purification is going to come from what you do in keeping the covenant and keeping the laws. And this, this has been a vessel that has done some good for you. It has given you an awareness that you do need to be purified. And it's good that you've made use of the, the purification. It's good that you've said yes to the covenant. It's good that you've embraced the need to be purified. But I'm going to do something right now that's going to show you that I'm the one who actually accomplishes your purification. And so he allows these ceremonial washing jars to be filled to the brim, all six of them, 180 gallons. And, and he turns it into wine. And it's, it's wine. Just, just as though in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant idea was always that we had to be made right with God by the sacrifice of an animal so that the shedding of blood could wash away and purify sin. And, and Jesus knew, I'm going to be allowing wine to symbolize my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And so without even saying a word... Here's how your cleansing's going to happen. 180 gallons. It's an amazing moment. But, but here's the other thing. You know, sometimes if I think about the, the miracle of Jesus turning the water into wine, you know what I think of? I think of the miracle of Jesus turning water into wine, and I, what comes to my mind, if I hadn't read the scriptures recently, is Jesus standing there going, hallelujah, zzz, boom, done, right? <laughs> In my non-Bible reading imagination, that's kind of how the story goes, right? Just like, can't, I mean, just can't you imagine it? Like, like I've been watching too many uh, supernatural type Netflix shows or something. But that's not what happens, is it, at all? He, he, he's, got, he's got these big old jars. I mean, I was going to get six of them. First of all, they're 130 bucks. And, and 
and they're heavy, man, super heavy. So I figured one will do. <laughs> but big old jars, big jars, empty, 30 gallons. I have the job at my house, one of my chores is I take the empty water bottles, the little five-gallon ones, to the water zone water store, and I fill them up, and then I put them in the back of my truck, and I carry them, all 12 of them, because we drink a lot of that water, into the garage. It takes me 15 minutes, and, and those are five-gallon bo bottles. And, and I don't know exactly what they had to work with in this moment, but when he says to the servants, fill those up with water. It's not like they've got a hose where they just turn on the valve. <laughs> you got to have a crew of people that's like walking over here, grabbing some sort of a jug or jar, carrying it over, dumping the water. And, you know, we don't get all the, the details in this whole moment, but I have to imagine that there's moments where the servants are like, what are, what are, we, what is this, what are we doing? What, what are we even doing? And Mary going, just, just, just do, do it, you know, <laughs> like... But carrying the water, just carrying the water, carrying the water. And what they really needed was, was wine, but they're just carrying a bunch of water. And I wonder if maybe there's something in this for us. That there are ways in which we need, we need wine, figuratively speaking. We need that, that breakthrough bounty of God to come, but we don't have it right now. Instead, we just got a bunch of water we're carrying. But... In the process of carrying and carrying again and carrying and carrying some more, in the process, something is being produced. Something of the power of God is being invited even by the willingness to just walk in a radical obedience in a moment. And because of this, the miracle does happen. In John 2, verse 8, it says, he told them, now, after, maybe it had been 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes of walking with nothing but water, and sometimes there are seasons where you're walking with nothing but water, but you can't quit. You can't stop. He told them to fill them to the brim. And after they did that, he told them, now, draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine, and he didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Yeah. 20 minutes, five-gallon jugs. <laughs> and he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you've saved the best till now. Come on, say, you've saved the best till now. And even in these words, spoken by a, a merry-making party maker, th there's an inspiration. You've saved the best till now. Say it. You've saved the best till now. Oh, yeah, you've saved the best till now. We had it good before. There was a way to get purification. We had it good before. There was a covenant. We were God's chosen people. We had it good before. There was a way to be right with God through the priests and what they would do on our behalf. And we had it good before. There was a way to have our sin absolved by the work of the Most High Priest on Atonement Day. We had it good, but you've saved the best till now. The best is Jesus. The best is Jesus, the new covenant in Jesus, and that wine symbolizing his blood shed for us so that it's no longer up to us to bring about our purification, but it's up to Jesus to bring what he alone can do. He saved the best till now. 
Yes, he did. I love what I read in this passage because it's a, it's a revelation of my Jesus. It's a picture of my Jesus. And first of all, what I see is that Jesus celebrates. Come on, he celebrates. He goes to weddings. Unnecessary events. Parties. He celebrates. And he celebrates, and he celebrates with extravagance. He celebrates with an extravagance and even providing something that was on the unnecessary list. I mean, come on. The wine, more wine was needed. It was wanted. But, but it's a demonstration that Jesus has a heart to celebrate and even to celebrate by providing and even providing in an extravagance. And there might have been somebody who say, well, why would he waste his supernatural energy making wine when there are starving, hungry people over there somewhere? <laughs> he is capable of tending to both. He is capable because he cares and he celebrates. He celebrates with those who are in their moment of celebration and even with extravagance and abundance. That's what this is a picture of. 180 gallons of wine. I mean... Have you thought of such a picture of the absolute extravagant abundance that was unnecessary to give and yet he gave it? Doesn't that give anybody here hope? Because aren't you hoping in some ways in your life that you might not only just have your bare minimum needs met, but that also some of the things that you're just hoping that out of his goodness that he'd give to you and provide for your life that he would? And some of us are sitting here in judgment going, well, not me, not me. I, I don't have any of those extravagant needs or wants yeah, you do. Yeah, you do, if you really think about it. Anyway, I don't want to go there. Shaggy eyes. Okay, so he cares. He cares. I see a picture here of Jesus caring. Caring about something that was non-essential. Extra wine for a wedding party. He cares. It reminded me of a, of a friend who, this is a couple years ago, but friend who, a relatively well-to-do guy, um, wanted to meet with me and, and ask for prayer because there were some struggles in the business, that kind of thing. And he said, you know, I want to ask you to pray for me, but, you know, because we're having some struggles in the business, but I don't even know, I don't even know if you should pray for me because, I mean, what is, does God really care about some rich guy with his $5,000 mortgage? Maybe, I mean, maybe it's probably, I shouldn't even ask you to pray because I don't think God really cares, probably doesn't care about that. And I could assure him, no, I know my God, he cares about the rich guy with this $5,000 mortgage as much as he cares about the widow and the orphan and everybody in between and on either side in every extreme. He cares. This miracle, this sign demonstrates it. He demonstrates a care for something that's completely non-essential just to aid in the celebration of a group of people in, in a town, in, in a remote part of the Middle East. He cares, and he converts. I see that here. He converts. He converts water into wine. But what it reminds me of is that he converts. He converts a, a, a guilt and shame-infested sinner into a grace and glory of God bringing son. He did it for me. He converted me. And for any one of us who know Jesus, this is the reality. He converted us. 
He converted us from being those who were stuck in sin and guilt and shame, and he converted you. He didn't just forgive your sin. He converted you into a whole new creation, somebody who's able to live a different way, someone who's able to live in freedom, and don't buy the lie that you're not. He converts. I see that in this picture of Jesus. He converts. It's beautiful. It's powerful. And so in some, man, if, I, if I'm going to live a no-hype life, following Jesus into the miraculous, here's what I want to do. I want to take that raw faith and I want to put it together with some radical obedience and some expectation and then maybe, just maybe, I'll see a miracle happen. So, so write this simple thought down. It's the main idea of this message. Exercise some raw faith and engage in radical obedience and then expect to see a real miracle. I think this is part of a no-hype life following Jesus. Exercise some raw faith, engage in some radical obedience, and expect to see a real miracle. Think about a place in your life right now where it, it seems like, a, like an empty jar <laughs> and you need it to be full. Maybe it's time for you to exercise some raw faith. And it can be raw. It doesn't have to be polished. It could even have a little bit of desperation in it. It could be uh, not very pretty. It doesn't have to be all theological. Just some raw faith. Just something down inside that says, I don't even know, but God, I believe you. Come on, that's some raw faith. And somebody today, th that's the first part of the equation. Raw faith. Come on, I, God, I believe you. I don't even know how, but God, I believe you. <laughs> somebody say it with me. God, I believe you. You should growl it a little bit. God, I believe you. Don't you have anything you're growling over in your life? I do. I do. Maybe you should growl for me, with me, if you got nothing of your own and say, God, I believe you. Oh, you don't have no growl in you. What's wrong? Are the suburbs too good for you? Hmm. Come on. That's it. I believe you, God. And let that, let that drive some expectancy I'm not there yet the jar's still empty all I've got is a, another jug of water and this is getting tiresome but I'm going to keep doing it because I got some radical obedience I'm willing to keep on doing whatever he tells me and I have expectancy that I'll see a miracle verse 11 said what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. We believe in him. That's what disciples do. At the very core, we believe in him. We believe in him. And, and if you're a disciple of Jesus, every time I'm around you, I'm going to keep calling you to believe in him because it's what we do. And if this is all kind of new for you, just being here in church, I'm going to invite you to believe in him. This, this wedding is not the only wedding that Jesus is going to be a part of. It's the only one in his earthly ministry in this time. But what I read in the scriptures in Revelation chapter 19 is that I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like loud peals of thunder shouting, hallelujah, for the Lord our God Almighty reigns. 
Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come. His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her. Everyone say given. Given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. And then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. You want the invitation? The invitation is to believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord. Believe that Jesus is the one who offers the perfect sacrifice for the purification that you need for your sin. Believe that Jesus is the perfect Messiah, Son of God. Believe in Jesus to be the Lord of your life. And you're invited to the marriage supper. The one day, perfect, most memorable most remarkable wedding that ever would be made possible because something did go very wrong, something called sin, but that the miracle of the grace of Jesus came to make it so perfect, more perfect than it could have ever been before, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Why don't you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this moment in your word where this story breaks out that it just kind of happens real quick, this fun little story, but it's way more. And just like the story began saying, on the third day, uh, we remember that there's a third day for us too, where you broke death and made the way for us to really live. And so I pray God for, for some of us to right now receive the invitation to that, that one day wedding feast, the one that happens with you. And I pray, God, that for some of us, we would be those that would be disciples today who would believe. So if you're here today and you would say, you know what, I don't know where I stand with God. I want to be right with God. I want to be forgiven. I want to be free from sin and shame and guilt, and I want to know that I'm going to heaven one day. If that's you, if you would earnestly say, I really don't know where I stand with God. I want to be right with God. You're right with God through Jesus when you put your faith in him, when you believe in him. He paid a great price, and your believing in him gives him the respect for what he's done for you. And maybe if you've never given your life to Jesus, that's what you ought to do right now. Ask Jesus to forgive you and save you. If you're here today and you would say, I want to ask Jesus to forgive me and save me and give me the gift of eternal life. Right now, I want you to raise your hand. Just raise it. That's you saying, I need that gift. I need my sin forgiven. I need to be right with God. I need his gift of eternal life. Just raise your hand high and make it known. In this moment, I receive Jesus. Right here in the back. Thank you. That's excellent. I don't want to miss you. Make sure you keep it up. Raise it again if I missed you. I want to connect with you. I want to pray with you. Over here in the middle, right there. Thank you. That's excellent. A couple of you that I'm right here in the middle, thank you. Excellent. Pray with me. Jesus, I believe in you. It all starts right there. Don't let anybody make it any more complicated than it, than it is. It just all starts right here. Jesus, I believe in you. So I want every voice to join the four people that maybe this is a first time for, and everybody say, Jesus, I believe in you. You paid the price, say that. For my sin, 
when you died on the cross and you broke death through your resurrection. I believe you're alive. Come into my life and save me and be my Lord from this moment on. In Jesus' name.